what I want to share this morning. How blessed are we to have a missionary like Buzz and Myrna Maxey with us last weekend? Then, thank you. I just keep saying, Joe and I were talking about this the other day, how really blessed we are here. I mean, Martin Sanders before that, the Sappy is before that, Jewel and Evan Evans. We're really, really blessed to have them. I wanted to give Max as much time as he had last Sunday morning, so I didn't get a chance to talk to you. And thank you for what you did in Easter Sunday. Thank you for giving up your parking spot. Thank you for giving up your seat and being a part of what was going on here. The music was phenomenal. I'm not really sure what happened to the senior pastor, but the music was great. The most visual, unbelievable moment that I'll never forget is in the very first service when I went 11 minutes and my wife sitting in the front row going like this. And then one member of the choir who was in the cafe when the final number was being sung who thought they had just ended the first service singing only to know that it was ending that fast. But this is the best line of them all. One of our children's workers said, we're lulling our visitors into a false sense of security that every sermon will be that long. That's the one I'm going with. And just to disprove that, have a seat and stay comfortable. I really do appreciate so many of you gave so much of your time and energy, some great volunteers for that particular Sunday. Almost 2,000 people gathered here together, 1,985, I think was our official count, of people that gathered here on Easter Sunday morning celebration. So thank you for all the volunteers, the many, many volunteers that we have to participate in that. A lot of information in your bulletin. Make sure you read it carefully. If you love what we do on Sunday morning with singing and celebration, you're going to want to be here next Sunday night for an hour and a half as we spend some time together singing and celebrating the praises of God. The video at the beginning, Man Up Conference coming up. I'm going, I'm hoping a lot of guys will go. Derwin Gray, who's one of the speakers this year, you saw the clip with last year's Tony Evans. Derwin Gray used to play for, I think, the Colts, but one of the most powerful, motivating speakers I've ever heard in all of my life is going to be there. And we showed it to you today because if you want an early bird discount, that's coming up right away. So I want to make sure you take advantage of that. We really need a lot of help in the nursery next Sunday night. So please, if you can, that's what that insert is there for. How many of you noticed the table on the stage this morning? Four of you. That's awesome. I do appreciate Larry from Speedy Furniture and our own Nancy from J.C. Penny, who contributed some things here this morning so that we could share some time together. If you were here on Good Friday night, we tried to paint for you, as much as we knew how, one of the most, I believe, powerful portraits in all of Scripture. That particular night, to me, I certainly enjoyed. I don't know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John fully grasped everything that was taking place. And even later as they began to write their story, as they tried to describe that upper room experience, but I can't even fathom what it must have been like for some of them to be there. And Jesus himself, knowing exactly what was about to unfold over the next 36 hours of his life, is in this intimate setting with 12 guys that he's invested three years in. John probably paints the most powerful portrait of it all, having one who has been there and knew what it was like, but listening to the words of Jesus, knowing what has taken place, hearing what he predicted, but not seeing it at all. You and I have seen it so many times, we almost, if we're not careful, kind of see it as past day or get numb to it, but they are living it for the very first time. They're in this upper room setting with someone they love and adore who really has convinced him he has come to change the world. He washes their feet. He tries to demonstrate to them what love looks like. He talks to them about the future. 
He lets them see his heart in really powerful and wonderful ways. He tells them a few things that are about to take place. He talks about the fact that somebody in this group is going to betray him. One of the most riveting moments to me of that is when others besides Judas say, is it I? I mean, how could they even draw that conclusion? What would even make them say, I get Judas because you know the story and how he had already gone and made the arrangements for the high priest. But what would have caused any of them to say, me? Is it I? And then he demonstrates to them one of the most powerful demonstrations on earth. As he takes a simple piece of bread and a simple goblet of wine and shares with them this intimate meal and reminds them of the power of those two things they hold in their hands. And for the last 2,000 years, we've been doing the same. Time after time after time, when we gather together, we talk about the symbolic nature of that bread and that cup and what they represent to us and what it must have been like for them to be there in that moment. As he says, I want you to, every time you do this, remember me. And so often you've heard me say, every time I gather together and say that phrase, I find myself saying, how can I forget? After all that you've done for me, after all that you've done for us, after all you've done for the world, how could we ever forget? Near the end of that meal, or at some point in that meal, he makes this statement. It's in your sermon notes this morning in Mark chapter 14. Mark heard about it. He wasn't there that night. He He's writing his story, his rendition of everything that happened in Jesus' life. And he shares this phrase, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine, the one they had in their hands, the one that was symbolic of what he did in the cross, the one that was symbolic of his blood being shed so that no longer sacrifices had to be made. He would be the ultimate sacrifice. So that we can now come to God clean only through Christ. Not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. He said, I won't do this again. I won't drink from this cup again until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When I first read that statement, I found myself wondering, what did he mean? What was he looking for? What was he looking toward? Now, what I'm going to share with you this morning is what I believe is the answer to that question. After that night was over and the upper meal was finished and the meal in the upper room was finished, he sang a hymn, it says, and then they left. Headed toward the Garden of Gethsemane. Somewhere along the way, he shared with them John 14, 15, 16, and I think some of the most captivating sections of Scripture ever written. And then he prays for them and for us. And then as they cross that Kindron brook, he separates himself from the rest and takes three and puts them in a little ways longer. And then he goes over and he really pours out his heart before God. And that night we talked to you about what that was all about. And the essence of what it meant for him to honestly realize and recognize what he was about to do and the price that he was about to pay. So that all of us could sit where we do this morning and share the love of God. And then it came. The betrayer leading, some say almost 600 soldiers up the hill somewhere along the way. And the betrayal itself and the kiss that had to sting Jesus' cheek. And that paled in comparison to what else was going to sting his cheek as they beat him and they scourged him. They mocked him, hung him on a cross and left him to die. Came down from the cross into the grave and you and I had... 
the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to celebrate the greatest day in the history of humanity, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says after he rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples on a number of occasions. The Gospels talk about a few of those. A week later, he appears to Thomas, says to him, here, here I am, I'm really here. Feel my hands, look at my side, recognize who I am. And Thomas says the most powerful words when he said, my Lord and my God. The first time, he wasn't just referred to as the Son of God, but God himself. He reinstated Peter in that incredible moment on a shore somewhere along the way outside the Sea of Galilee as he shares with him some fish and fish and reminds Peter of his love for him and asks Peter to remember his love for Christ and what he's calling him to do. Acts begins to paint a portrait of what it's like to spend those times with Jesus. One of the statements that always stood out to me that I wish I would know more about when he says he talked to them things about the kingdom of God. Forty days he met with them on a regular basis, semi-regular basis, we're not really sure, but he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. I wondered in my mind if it had to refer back to that phrase when he said, I won't drink this cup again until I drink it in the kingdom of God. And he talked to them during that 40 days about what the future held. He no longer went backwards, he only went forwards. If there was ever a Bible study I would have ever wanted to be a part of, I would have loved to have been a part of that one. When I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus for those days together with him, listening to him and his passion as he begins to declare and talk about the kingdom of God. And then just when it seemed to have started, he leaves. And he begins to rise right in front of their eyes. I love the statement in Acts when he goes to leave and the angels come down and they look at the disciples and say, what are you staring at? And I want to say to him, what do you think I'm staring at? The son of God who I came to love and adore and to follow and I'm willing to give my life for, who I knew died, rose again from the dead, who's now living forever, and I know that for short, now leaves us again and gave us one of the most amazing challenges in all of Scripture. That's what I'm looking at. He just left saying we are to take this gospel message to the end of the earth, and I don't know how I'm going to do that. And I don't even know if I want to do it without him. But he did give me a promise along with a challenge. The challenge was to take this message to the end of the earth. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, one of the most familiar to us, when he said, I want you to take this gospel message to all nations. Not just a few, not just to the ones that you like, not just the people that are receptive. I want you to take this life-transforming gospel to every nation on this planet. I want you to make them disciples. I want you to consume them, not baptize. I don't even think that's the word he's using there in this particular context that we know in the water baptism. But I want you to overwhelm them with the love of the Father. I want you to see them see Christ in every conceivable way, and I want you to know and them to know that the power of the Holy Spirit is available to all of them. Consume them with that message. And I got to believe they said, are you kidding me? That is an enormous responsibility. We don't even get along with each other, let alone taking this gospel message to the end of the earth. How will we ever do that? And then he said to them, you can't on your own, but you can with my power. So I want you to go back to Jerusalem to that previous place that we had already been before and I want you to pray and I want you to wait and when the Spirit of God lands on you, you'll know it and you'll have the power necessary to take this gospel message to the ends of the earth. And so they did. They went back, they waited and the Spirit landed. 
in really powerful ways. An Acts that we began a year ago begins to paint a portrait of what took place from that particular point on. And when the Spirit of God landed, it landed. And when Peter got up to preach that day, it wasn't the Peter that we saw in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, who was intimidated or always saying the wrong things. This time, he had a message to share from his very soul. And as he did, thousands came to faith in Christ, and the church began. And over the last number of months, we've been in the book of Acts, talking to us about what that church looks like and its ultimate mission to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. They obeyed, the Spirit came, and the church began. For the last 125 years, we who are part of the Christian Missionary Alliance have joined them in that effort to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. You hopefully know that you're not just a part of Community Alliance Church. You're a part of this grand denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance, whose ultimate responsibility it is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to every nation they can with the resources given to them, with those that are available to them, to as many places that they can possibly go. And for over 125 years, we've been doing that. Missionaries like Buzz and Myrna and hundreds of others like them have been taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the very ends of the earth. On Thursday morning, we had the opportunity to celebrate the life of George Boggs, one of the early missionaries who flew them into the Balin Valley, one of the most remote parts on the planet. And we've been doing it ever since. One of the things that I love about the CNMA is not only do we believe that we're a part of the process of continuing the Great Commission, we actually believe that we could potentially be a part of the generation that completes it. We're not only a part of this grand denomination that's responsible to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, we really believe that we could potentially be a part of the denomination of the generation that sees it completed. Let me give you some examples. In your sermon notes this morning are just a few of them. In 1900, 8 million people in Africa claimed to be Christians. By the year 2001, 100 years later, that number rose to 351 million. Do you realize the increase of that? The number of evangelical believers rose from 1.6 million in 1980, 20 years before that, to 116 million. From 1.6 to 116 million in in 20 years. A hundred years ago, there were 200,000 evangelicals in Latin America. Today, there are over 55 million evangelicals, not just people who know about God. 55 million evangelicals. We're a part of an evangelical denomination south of the border. Can you even fathom that? That's one-fifth of the population of the United States alone who are evangelical believers south of the border. So often we see all the things that are written and said about all that's going on south of the United States. But you can fathom, or I at least hope you can fathom, the fact that 55 million born-again believers in Jesus Christ live south of the border. In Asia, the non-Catholic Christian community has grown from less than 4 million in 1900 to 193 million by the year 2000. Today there are almost as many evangelical Christians in Asia as there are in all of North and South America combined. As many evangelical Christians in Asia as there is in North America and South America combined. Today it is possible for over 95% of all people in the world to hear the story of Jesus Christ over gospel radio in a language they can understand. The Jesus film has been translated into over 1,300 languages and been screened by every country on earth by several billion people. Just in the CNMA alone, 
We have 21,000 churches or church groups that are a part of the Alliance family in 67 countries. CMA missionaries are filling the Great Commission in 81 countries alone. Our total constituency just in the CNMA has increased by 326% in just the last two decades. Every four minutes in Alliance ministries around the world, someone prays to receive Christ. Every hour, three patients are treated by Alliance medical workers. Every day, 43 radio broadcasts are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who haven't heard. Every single week, 3,000 new believers are baptized in CNMA churches around the world. Every month, 250 new churches are part of the Alliance family. Every year, 10 thousand new workers are trained in 125 Alliance schools. I don't know about you, but that's worthy of praise. More than just a, that's cool. More than just a, that's cool, that's nice. We are a part of a generation who really do believe that we have the responsibility to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth and could potentially be the ones to see it completed. And we're seeing it done all over the planet. I believe we're getting closer and closer to the day that Jesus looked forward to in that upper room experience when all of God's people will be around the table sharing together that meal when he again picks up that goblet and welcomes us home. John gets one of the most unusual glimpses of anybody on the planet. He gets an opportunity to look into the future. And he writes the book that you and I know as Revelation. There's so many times that I've had conversations with God where I've said, if you just lift up the curtain a little bit, if you just peel it back a little bit so that I know what's on the other side, is there any way, God, Father in heaven, that you could let me see a few things on the other side of life? Because I feel like Paul when he said, I feel like I'm looking through a glass darkly. I want to wipe away some of the smoke. I want to know what's on the other side. I prayed. I've sought your face. I've shared your truth. I've hurt or helped and encouraged people along the way. I just want to know, God, what are you doing in some of the things that I don't quite understand? But in Revelation, he gives us an amazing glimpse. Every once in a while, we'll drive home on a cold winter day and Connie will look at me and we're driving along and she'll say, why is your window so much more steamed up than mine? (laughs) I have no idea. Must be the hot air that I exhume. It's still in process of being greeted. And every once in a while, I'll wipe the window away because I realize I can't see what's out there and I can't see what's behind me. And I always can't even see what's in front of me. And so I want to make sure the thing is clear so that I can see clearly. And John gives us this amazing portrait. He said, I want you to know there's coming a day when people from every tribe and every language and every tongue will be at the banquet table of the king. He shares a little bit of it in stories or verses that I have with you this morning in Revelation 7. He talks about the church and the lessons that Jesus wants to teach the church and positive things and negative things that they seem to have forgotten somewhere along the way. And he begins to unfold this amazing picture. And then he said, after that, after this, I looked and there was before me a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. In Revelation 19, he writes these words as he begins to unfold the things of history and how they begin to impact one another and how eventually the world begins to explode or implode on itself and then talks about the end times. And then he said, I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. 
For the wedding of the lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. What I believe, and you can dispute, you can count me wrong, you can look it up for yourself, try to figure it out on your own. What I honestly believe that what Jesus looked forward to in Mark chapter 14, at the end of that moment with the disciples, about that future day somewhere down the road, was what John has an opportunity to see in the book of Revelation. When this banquet table that Jesus invites people to from every language, every tongue, every tribe, have the opportunity to be in the kingdom of God because somebody obeyed the message, took the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, and people from every tribe and every language and every nation who heard the gospel message and responded to that are sitting with seats at that table. Community Alliance Church has done its part down through the years. We sent and supported missionaries down through the ages. Every year we give over 17% of our income to worldwide ministries and projects. Between three hundred fifty and four hundred thousand dollars is given just from our church every year to the Great Commission Fund and to Kama, which is a relief arm of the CNMA that supports missionaries like Buzz and Myrna. Look at the screen for a moment. We have supported missionaries and ministry endeavors in Dominican Republic. We have built churches there that didn't have a church before, a place for those people to gather. Now they're there because people came and gave and went. People who didn't have enough water to drink, didn't have any water that they would even want to drink. Water that you and I wouldn't wash our feet in that they were drinking before now have clean wells. Because we believe that's one of the things that God was calling us to. And so people gave, people invested, and now people are drinking clean water in Burkina Faso, West Africa. We have helped with schools and Sunday schools in a remote area of the world called Indonesia that you may never get to. But are now there and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ because we gave and supported. We brought, bought a cement mixer and a land cruiser to help build churches in Senegal in a country that's 95% Muslim that just happens to be open to the gospel and students from that particular academy have the chance twice a year to go into these very remote areas and very dark places, share the gospel of Jesus Christ because you gave, you invested, and we participated and now God is multiplying their efforts over and over again. Recently, this last year, our Vacation Bible School kids gave over $7,700 to help Assyrian refugee children who are now being relocated out of Syria to Jordan. That video that you saw at the beginning, if you remember, with all the kids and all that's going on there, is what we participated in, what these children are able to enjoy. Doug, who wrote the article and sent a thank you note back to Connie and the children at Community Alliance Church, said, I I could never thank you enough for your generous project and for all the help you've given to these Syrian refugee children, children in Jordan. What a blessing they have received. The picture that I'm now sharing with you is a picture of the church or a house that we're trying to purchase so that we can make sure that these kids have a place to be and a place to go. I love Buzz's statement last week. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And so what we've been doing over the last 110 years, will be 110 years old on uh, September of this year. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And so we've been asking to be involved in what it is that God is asking us to do all around the world. You may already know this, but the church is made up of various types of people. Not just economically or geographically or gender-wise, but a church is made up of a number of different types of people. They're the curious. 
who come on Sunday morning just to kind of check us out and see what it's all about. Many times they come only at Christmas and Easter, and sometimes we criticize them. There was a, a line I had at the beginning of my Easter sermon as I was going to say, hey, I haven't seen you since Christmas. Thanks for coming back, but I chose not to say that. Was that a good choice? But they're curious. They're trying to figure out what it's all about. Some of them would say this is their church. Others would just say, I, I don't know what this is all about. I know there's something going on there. I know there's something I need in my life. And I think they have it. I'd love to find out what it's all about. There's the cautious who maybe will step in, maybe try to feel it out, try to figure it out, but they don't want to get heavily involved and don't want to get overcommitted. And then there's the convinced. They know it's the truth. They know this is where they want to be. They know that an evangelical church like ours is where they want to get connected. And finally, they take the final step and they get committed. And they're really all in. Everything about them. Now, most of us would say, well, if I had to choose the church I want to belong to or the church I want to pastor, I want a church of fully committed people. All of them fully committed. And I get that and understand that. You'd love that. But the signs of a healthy church are having people at every level of that who have the curious coming every once in a while just to find out what we're all about. Half a dozen every single Sunday, just come and check us out and see what we're all about. See what God is doing here. See if this is where they want to get connected. We have the cautious who every so often come on a regular basis, but they're just not sure where it's all at. And then the convinced who know it's the truth and then the committed who say, I'm all in. And the signs of a healthy church are the fact that we have people from all levels of life and all aspects of that just moving them along in the continuum. So that the cautious gets finally convinced and the convinced gets committed and really is all in. Some of the divining characteristics of the committed Christian is not only services they attend or how much of the Bible they know, but how much of the Bible they apply to their living and their thinking. Because you will always act on your belief. You will always respond to what you know is true or what you know God is calling you to do. And those who believe in a biblical worldview, what the Bible really teaches, really do understand that the Bible is the word of God, that Jesus is the answer to life, that people without Christ are lost, and we can do everything and have the responsibility to do anything we can do to make sure that we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, here, there, and everywhere. One of the evidences of the committed is not the fact that they know the Bible or they come into a service, but that they really do understand that not only is the Bible the true word of God, not only is Jesus the answer to life, but people without Christ are lost, and we have the personal responsibility to do everything we can to make sure that they are found and make sure that they get an invitation to the table. So that when life is all over, which is going to be someday, and the king declares the banquet feast is now ready. And the bride of Jesus Christ is raptured out of this earth. And we're all seated around the throne of God. And we have that opportunity to celebrate for all time. We will know that we've done everything we possibly can to make sure that everyone within our sphere of influence or our reach at least has an invitation to the table. People from every walk of life, people from every nation on the planet. Now let me ask you a number of questions. What nation would you want to leave out? What nation should we ignore? What nation should we not care about? We only have a couple of them here this morning on each end of the table that represent a couple of nations along the, around the earth, but is there a nation that we should ignore? Is there a nation we should leave out? Of course not. 
We want to make sure that what Jesus predicted and promised that would happen at the end of time from every language and every tribe and every nation and every people group would have the opportunity to hear the word of God. And that we in our small part of that responsibility in the CNMA would do everything we can to make sure that at least for us, we're doing our part. We can't do everything. We can't do something. Is there more? Of course. Is there more that I can do? I think there is. Is there more that you can do? Probably so. Who would I want to make sure that has a personal invitation to the banquet? I can't make them come, but I can give them an invitation. Not only from every language, and not only from every people group, but the guy next door, the guy that I know, the guy that I work with, the lady that sits with me every once in a while on the bus somewhere, the lady that I know that works in a cubicle around the corner, who really doesn't connect anywhere, doesn't go to church, doesn't even know that she is a, one who God loves and adores. She may not be in China, she may not be in Africa, but she's really near me and I want to make sure she gets an invitation. I can't make her come. I can't take her with me to the banquet table. No one rides on anybody else's coattail, but I can make sure that she gets an invitation and knows what it's all about. So who would that be? Who would fill the empty chair? Who in your sphere of influence would you want to make sure at least gets an invitation to the banquet table. Now, if you've ever been to a Thanksgiving meal or a family gathering of any kind, you also notice there's a lot of chairs and a lot of people occupied. And every once in a while, you go through that process of knowing that this year, that one that we loved isn't there. But there's one more chair that every once in a while, in some banquet tables you'll see, or in some Thanksgiving settings you'll see. The chair looks a lot like this, but I'm going to call it something different. I'm going to call it... The eye chair. Because I'm not really interested in what God's doing around the world. And I really don't care if my neighbor finds Jesus or not. I'm just in this life to get out all I can. Nobody would ever admit that. No one would ever say that. No one would ever declare that. But sometimes it's easy to live like that. I don't want to take any risks. I don't want to cross any barriers. I don't want to really share the good news. I don't want to participate in what God's doing. I just want to make sure I get through this life unscathed. Unfortunately, they can be like the people that Buzz referred to last week, going after their own things. Unwilling to take any risks at all. There's a poem that I've heard shared on a number of pastors who use it. It goes something like this. There was a very cautious man who never laughed or played, who never risked and never tried, never sang or prayed. And when he one day passed away, his insurance was denied. For since he never really lived, they claim he never died. What risks are God, is God asking you to take? What steps is he asking you to take? What is, it, what is it that God's asking you to do? To make sure that maybe somewhere in your life, you have the opportunity to invest in what God's doing around the world. Or maybe there's a neighbor or a friend or a person in your sphere of influence that you would like at least to get an invitation to the banquet table of the king. In your sermon notes this morning is a couple of blanks at the bottom of a couple of questions. What I'd love for you to do in a minute as we close is just to listen to the voice of God and, and recognize, you know, Lord, there is a couple of things that I think you want me to do. 
And there is somebody that I'd really like to invite to the banquet table. Because when it's all said and done and I realize time is over and it's too late, I don't want them to miss it. And as I'm hearing you say it, I know who it is. Now, for some of us, it could be a step, not a person. 46% of our people who support Community Alliance Church also support what God is doing around the world. Giving to the Great Commission Fund or comma or a ministry project. That means 54% aren't. And so maybe God is saying to you this morning, you know what? I really do understand. I get it. I want to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to hear what I have heard in Jesus. And I haven't ever participated before in the Great Commission Fund. And I'm not sure what I want to do now, but I want to do something. Maybe it's filling in this that you got last Sunday morning. And you're just a, a, a little bit hesitant about what it's going to look like in the future. But I at least want to start. And maybe there's a way that you can do that. Maybe there's something that you're being asked to do by the Spirit of God. I listen to Christian music a lot. And one of the stations that I listen to is K-Love, except for these two weeks. You already know why. They teach me how to not raise money. I'm not going to do matching gifts. We're not talking about all kinds of things. I'm just saying, if you know that God has blessed you, and you know that God is calling you, and you know by the Spirit of God there are things that he's asking you to do, I'm asking you to consider doing that. I'm not going to manipulate you or discourage you or make you feel ashamed. I'm just simply asking you to to listen to the voice of God and respond. So maybe you're one of those this morning that says, you know what my next step is? I want to start participating globally in what God's doing around the world. Maybe my next step is going out back to the left and picking up one of those partnership statements. I, 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 I do pray for the missionaries. This is how. Lord bless the missionaries. Maybe there's one that I could be praying for. Maybe there's one who's had an impact on my life and I've watched their life or I, I read this about them in this magazine or maybe I see them in the Alliance Life, which is the magazine of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And, and more consistently, I want to do more than just Lord bless the missionaries. I want to pray for them specifically, their needs and their circumstances and what's going on in their life. Maybe it's I need to quit sitting here on Sunday and I need to start serving. I sit a lot. I, I love what God doing here, I'm glad that somebody else is doing it. And, and maybe it's saying, I, I, I need to quit sitting and start serving. And maybe there's that person in your mind, in your heart, that God has already said, hey, what about her? What about him? What about them as a family? They need, they, they need an invitation to the, to the table. And I know who they are. And on that last line, I'd love for you to write their name. Brad's going to come and sing a closing song that is absolutely powerful. It probably best communicates the essence of the commission that God has called us to better than any I've heard in a long time. And while he's singing it, I'm asking you to listen to the voice of God. And what I would love for you to do is honestly write down whatever next step you sense the Spirit of God telling you to do. And whatever person he's asking you to invite to the table. Maybe both, maybe just one or the other. And then I'm going to ask you, while he's singing, to get up and put it in one of these bowls. They're half filled from the first service. And what I'd love for you to do, nobody's going to collect them. Nobody's coming to you and say, hey, you wrote this down. Are you doing it? The Spirit of God may say that to you. I won't, promise you. But honestly, what I'd love for you to do is, like everyone did in the first service, get up after you've written it out and make a public commitment to what you sense the Spirit of God telling you to do and respond.
place it in a bowl, go back where you are until we're done. And ask God to every day of your life help you keep the commitment that you've just made. Knowing that someday they'll be sitting with you at the end of time because you invited them and no one else did. God, help us to hear you clearly and loudly and respond to what it is you're asking us to do.